millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property. You're with John Pigeon and as always joined by Emily Wallace. Hello, Emily. Hello across the screen, across the state. <laughs> Can see you over there. <laughs> yes, across the world. Yes. Now it seems a bit like uh, Groundhog Day, deja vu. It does, but a positive is that A, we get to record and not be too worried about, you know, got to go somewhere. Um, yes. And... B, it's a creative time. I feel like, you know, when you are locked inside four walls um, for majority of the day, you start to get a bit creative. You never know what might come out of this. Absolutely. Yeah. uh, Do you want my three kids? I can send them down for you to (laughs) get more creative if you want. I'll trade you for my two dogs if you want. They're probably just (laughs) as hard work. (laughs) Look, I'm not going to go on a rant today, but I just think we need to get on with life. There's uh, there's businesses hurting, there's employees getting affected, and uh, I just think, yeah, let's let's just get on with this show. Yeah, I agree. I certainly agree with you there. Um, Side note, or relatively note, um, seems like the property market isn't really unaffected by this, though, overall. Like. Well, just shows the strength of that asset class such as property. Yeah, most. Isn't it? Definitely, mm. yeah. Did you hear uh, the debate with Glenn and I on the main show? Do you know what? I actually did. I skimmed through it because I was interested and I was sort of, I guess, batting for your side of the, <laughs> of the debate more generally, although I oh. invest in both, but, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and so, and so do I, but uh, full disclosure, I'm crap at debating and he's good at it and uh, that, that definitely helps. <laughs> he case. won by experience. Yeah, did he? not sure, but anyway. <laughs> what have you been up to? What sort of properties are you finding out there for clients? Well, the off-market's still going strong, I have to say, um, somewhat to my surprise, to be honest. Like, it, it does baffle me how many are out there, but bought for a first-home buyer. Actually, I think they are a listener of the show, Carla and Troy, and um, they've bought a, a nice two-bedroom villa unit. We buy a lot of those. And before that, bought a decent-sized house for someone upsizing. So, cool. yeah. How That's about awesome. yourself? Is the I- yeah. investments in the regional still going strong? Yeah, it's very busy actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've been Sydney Northern Beaches, we've been Sunshine Coast, we've been regional New South Wales, we've been regional Vic, we've been local here. So wow. we've had a pretty busy last uh, couple of months, which is uh, which has been good for for everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I agree. The off market stuff is interesting, um, even in these hot market times. Uh, people still prefer to to not have to deal with open homes and. And things like that. And, and someone actually reached out to me the other day and said, well, what, what is an off-market property or yeah. uh, what's the true definition? And I said, well, there's no actual true definition of it, but essentially you're getting in or getting access to it before most of the punters out there. And by the time it's listed on realestate.com or domain, mm. there's an under offer pretty much there um, or even listed 
but we know about it a week or two prior to it being listed. So it doesn't mean it's completely off market. Um, is that how you would define it in your world? Yeah, I think that little um, bit where it's, you know, one to two weeks before it goes on market, to me, I define them as a pre-market, like they're, they're going to come on the market, whereas my off-markets, they probably never have an intention of going online. Um, so no, yeah, no photographs, no floor plan, no styling, um, just yeah. very much, yeah, a hush-hush sale. Yeah, but but a lot of those will still appear on realestate.com as a one photo under offer or sold, won't they, just for marketing purposes, up this um, way anyway? Not so much down here, I have to say. They only really appear in our database and when we go to do comparable sales, unless the agent's happy to put their money behind because it costs obviously to put it on realestate.com. Um, yeah. Some of them will do it, but most of the time what they'll do instead, they'll go and put a sold board up out the front of the house and take yeah, a photo okay. and put it on their social media. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The old socials. Yes. Now, listeners are probably like, what are they? They've just gotten talking. We, sorry, we got a bit carried away, but we are actually doing a Q&A today yeah. <laughs> is the emphasis of the show um, because I think since we've mentioned, you know, please put hashtag property in the, in the Facebook group and please reach out, um, people have actually been listening. People, believe it or not, listen to what we say, which I love. Um, awesome. <laughs> so we've got a few questions to go through today and I want to start with one from Vivian and she has a question around buying um, a second home, so upsizing, um, when you have a pretty good first home. Do you buy another one um, and rent your initial one out or do you sell the current one um, after paying for the new one, after buying the new one? Now, this isn't just exclusive to Vivian. I know this question comes about all the time. Like we've got, you know, our first home, we're outgrowing it, we need to upsize. Um, and that might be when kids come along the way um, or you just need more space. So let's unpack this one. I think yeah. first and foremost, the debate of, you know, can we hold our initial one and rent it out and make it an investment property or, and this is a big question I get a lot, is do we sell it so we've actually got the, the cash in hand to go for the next one, which is an interesting one. Yeah, there's a lot of variables around this and, and mm. I actually did a clarity call with someone during the week uh, on this exact thing. Um, I think we've, we need to understand uh, in Vivian's case, are we going to, is this next purchase going to be our forever home? Because uh, if it is, we, we, we've got to think long and hard about trying to reduce that debt as quick as possible because it's uh, non-tax deductible, etc. Um, so, if we can lend to the uh, level that means we can hold on to that initial property, then that that, that has massive upside going forward, doesn't it? Because then you've got two assets. Uh, you you may be only spread across the one region mm. for, for growth and for property cycles, but you've you've got two assets. One of them's giving you rental income and the other one's giving you lifestyle. Um, so one you might be paying down on, the other you might be paying interest only, for example. So the, if you can handle the holding costs of both properties, and when I mean holding costs, I mean factoring in increase, increased interest rates, uh, maybe some vacancy at some time, uh, maybe are we having kids in the next few years? So that might mean one income. Like we're putting all variables on the table, aren't we? To, to the point where, yeah, okay, worst case scenario, we can actually handle two properties and, and the running costs of those. Uh, but do we want to pay down using cash 
our owner occupier sooner rather than later. And if that's the case, we'd actually sell that first property despite the fact that we would, uh, would forego one asset. Yeah, definitely. The other question that springs to my mind is with that first property in place going for your second, if your intention is to hold an investment property at some point in time, is it more cost effective to hold the one you've currently got or sell it up, get the property, your new forever home that you want, and then three to five years down the track, maybe be in a position to buy again? It's like, is that you know a subsequent purchase actually going to be more costly because potentially property prices are higher, it might be difficult to get in, um, or is it worth, you know, leveraging the first one that you've got? It's a real, it's obviously a a personal case, you know, in terms of the numbers and how they stack up, but it's a very, very common question. And it's a great position to be in, by the way. Like if someone's got their first property under their belt and they're ready to upsize and they can afford to do so, like good on you. That's a fair effort. It's a real real effort. And from a principal place of home uh, scenario, you've got a six-year exemption from moving out of that place as well. So keeping that in mind, you've got both balls in the air with some flexibility if you do keep both properties. Mm. Uh, and wh- one thing's for sure, once you've sold the property, uh, you can't grab it back, right? The the growth on that property since you sold it, you, you can't take advantage of. Whereas at least if you need to sell that second property or, or that original property, a few years down the track after holding both of them, you can do that. It's in your control, isn't it? So yeah, yeah no one size fits all there, but you've got to take all factors into account and not look back saying, well, maybe we could have held them both. We just didn't know, do our numbers properly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that does come down to having a good A team on board more generally to help advise you as well. Um, I don't think these are decisions that you have to know the answer to yourself. You know, workshop it with um, the correct people in place, accountant, financial planner, maybe an advocate as well um, so that you can understand the risk and reward of those things. So um, thank you, Vivian, for asking that. I think you've asked it on behalf of a lot of people. I've heard very similar questions um, through the Facebook group and even my Instagram of late. So thank you, Vivian. Now, um, our next question comes from Sean Sampson and Sean asks, what are the pros and cons of rent vesting? One of our favourite topics, John, isn't it? Yes. Rent vesting. Never gets old. Never gets old. I just love saying that term, rent vesting. It just rent sounds vesting. so special. It does. <laughs> it sounds uh, sounds like it's got great potential, doesn't it? Yes. So mm. pros and cons. Well, you were a rent vester yes, for a long time. I'm still a rent vester um, and intend to be for, for quite a while. Should mm. we start with pros or cons? Yeah, so maybe just, and I know you've told your story before, but maybe talk about what you see as the positives of rent vesting for yourself and maybe the the negatives if there are any. I feel like for me, the positive is I'm growing out my wealth while I'm living in an area that I absolutely love. And funnily enough, just yesterday, um, so the where I live in this complex, there are three penthouses and we've been talking about, you know, could we get something that has a third bedroom, but would be great. Now I ran the numbers on a conservative purchase price for the penthouse up, up, up above versus what it would cost me to rent it. And I would be far 
better. Even though the rent would look expensive on paper, mm. um, it would actually be better for me to rent it and keep this lifestyle that I have. So the positive for me is I feel like I am building my little chips on, on the Monopoly board as I'm going around while I'm still loving and enjoying my life. The, the hard parts of it are, I guess, the unknown of potential, you know, vacancy periods of the properties that you own um, as a rent vester. Um, my, one of my properties is currently vacant at the moment, has been for six weeks while I'm trying to sort it out because it was left in a, um, an absolutely terrible state. I can't believe how the tenants left it, which is, that's the reality of rent vesting. You don't mm. know. And that's been, it's been um, a con, but it's been something that I had accounted for to a degree. So I'm not too shaken by it, but I think that that's a lesson for people in rent vesting is um, you need an emergency fund basically for your rent, for, for your investment properties. You need a buffer. So, you know, whether you want to call it emergency fund or, or buffer fund or whatever it is, factoring that in, um, you need to continually add to it, I think. You know, I direct debit a certain amount every month to it just to give me the peace of mind that if something goes wrong, as it has, <laughs> I'm not super out of pocket. I have accounted for it. That's probably something that people don't factor in enough. It's not a con, but it's a consideration. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I think... Uh what what I'm hearing there is it's the having the the right mindset around number one being an investor, but number two being a rent vester because mm. you you like by the sounds of it the idea of saying oh yeah we're living in this uh, apartment at the moment, but how about this one? We we might go and move over to this one, and we don't see too many obstacles in in moving and um, trying out a new suburb or a new complex. Whereas other people might say, well, I couldn't think of anything worse. Mm. So if you're the latter, then you're probably leaning towards for your personality and for your type. Uh, to maybe buy your own home to live in first uh, and how much money you're going to make might actually be irrelevant. So uh, I think it definitely comes down to mindset, doesn't it? Um, and, and then as you said, from an investing point of view, expect that there may be some things go wrong and put your buffers in place um, at all times. So yeah, that's good. I, I would say there's one level higher than being a rent vester. What is it? Um, a free vesta. A free <laughs> vesta. Like? That's right. Yes. <laughs> Your favourite term. <laughs> so yeah, if you if you're out there staying at home with mum or dad or both, um, there is the ability to just stay there and and spend another couple of years saving your twenty or thirty thousand dollars maybe that will get you your first or second deposit and build a portfolio. I've got a, a number of clients that have just made so many inroads over the, the last couple of years just by doing that. And, and I haven't convinced them to do that. I've just mm. put it out there to say, well, is it an option? Because once we get out in that rent or rent vesting world of, uh, of paying rent and, and uh, buying our own groceries and paying our own bills, mm. um, it does cut into our bottom line quite significantly. So analyse your running costs for your life and, uh, and know your numbers before you make that next step. Most definitely. Now, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and I know there's a question that came through uh, your channels, John, that we're going to unpack as well. Um, and I've got a few more sitting here in, in the Facebook group that we'll get to. So uh, we'll be back in a second. Keep an ear out for your name if you've asked a question and we will answer it. We'll be right back. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Okay, so Ainsley Monk has reached out and said, exit strategies if paying interest only on investment loan. So... Uh, that's an interesting one, and I'll, I'll just speak to that personally if I can, Emily. Yeah, now, go for it. I my strategy again twenty odd years ago was exactly that: was to uh, buy property, get into the market as soon as I could, using as much of the bank's money as I as <laughs> I could, and repay uh, what the bank required of me, but nothing more. Yeah. with the view that I was taking, uh, maximising my savings into my next investment and, and uh, understanding that, yes, I won't be paying down the loan on that first property or the second property or the third property. Uh, however, if I've bought well and I've done my research that uh, I'm going to get some capital growth in that particular property, which reduces my loan-to-value ratio over time and gives me flexibility to pull equity out to, to repeat the process or, or to potentially sell down and buy your, your own home outright or close to. So, uh, yeah, it's an awesome question. And I, and I think, Ainsley, by the sounds of it, you're doing or running a similar model or looking to. So I would say the exit strategies are basically – Drawing equity out to continue to build the portfolio, mm. all right, number one, so that you the, you can increase your asset base. So you might have $500,000 mortgage and then your, your next property might be another 500K purchase and I'm just using round numbers, but you might have, say, three properties or four properties totaling $2 million worth of assets, right? If you hold that portfolio for the next five to 10 years, uh, if you're allowed interest-only repayments, if you're getting some growth on that that portfolio to say four to five percent per annum, which is quite reasonable, um, you're going to be getting some some outstanding equity in your portfolio that you've got choices uh, to to act uh, act with. Now, what are those choices? It's sell down the portfolio to buy your own home outright or close enough to, or to simply uh, sell down one and put 
a large chunk of a deposit on your own home. Or if you don't want your own home, it's just simply um, selling down for lifestyle reasons or because the rents are increasing and you're managing your costs quite well, it may be just holding the portfolio and, and not worrying too much about the exit strategy right now and just letting it do its thing. Because I, I think property is a patience game and sometimes we, we get in the road of that portfolio to our, to our detriment. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. I think the biggest thing, um, you know, when you're talking about exit strategy, it does come down to your end goal. But the exit strategy is heavily reliant upon how well you bought as well in terms of, I think some people might not be too quick to admit that they might have bought something that's not performing that well. And the cost opportunity of that um, to free up some borrowing power um, and selling out as an exit strategy to then buy back in is also an option in many cases, but the patience factor does come into it. You can't expect that, you know, three years down the track, five years down the track, that that property is doing swimmingly because as we've discussed on previous episodes, when we look at property growth, you know, and we say it doubles roughly every 10 years, the doubling of that doesn't, you know, accumulate over year over year over year, it's actually the point in time of the market when it grows super rapidly like it is at the moment. So out of those 10 years, if you're at the start of that, maybe you're year one to three, you're not seeing too much happen. There's a level of patience required to understand that booms do happen um, and that may occur rather than being quick to sell and exit if it's not performing and then buy back in again, maybe to find yourself just in the same position as you, as you were. So um, you do have to be, to be careful with, um, I think particularly, you know, this is a millennial podcast. I'm sure there's listeners of all different age and demographics, but we do have a, a general mindset of instant gratification in this day and age. Yeah, and that's totally. not the property mindset, is it? Because if no. if we had that, I think um, we'd all be a bit broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely a, a long game that we play. And and to your point, uh, I did a webinar during the week on on Brisbane and the 2032 Olympics being Ooh, announced. Yes, and uh, we, we may talk about that on the podcast at some at some stage. But uh, I admitted, not fault, but I bought into Brisbane probably about five years ago, I think, mm-hmm. um, based on everything that that tells me is still true today. Infrastructure, yep. population movement, um, medium price, value for money, yield, all those things. Um, I, I still think those indicators are right and the growth is starting to come now, but I mm-hmm. thought it was going to come four years ago. So um, I wasn't I was wrong, but I'm. But now, because of the patience, I've. It's allowed me to 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 experience some growth in that market. But uh, so yeah, sticking it out for the long game because the running costs of transacting in property are, are, are much higher than most other asset classes, aren't they? With stamp duty and uh, agents' fees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the 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 last thing I would say to that Ainsley is. When I first started investing, interest only was just a set and forget option. You would mm. just, once it expired, you renew, renew to interest only and, and life goes on as normal. Mm. In the last few years, since APRA came down pretty hard, 
Uh, what's happened is you may get a three to five year interest period, in some cases 10 years, but it's pretty rare. And then at the end of that term, they may want you to pay principal and interest. So that's one thing that's got to be factored in as an investor. Do we, uh, well, we've really got three options there. We, we uh, roll over and say, yep, yeah, we'll pay principal and interest with that particular lender. We go and refinance to another lender who gives us a three or five year interest only period again. Or if we can't handle the running costs of that property, P&I, we sell the property. Now, that last one, we want to avoid like the play, don't we? Yeah. We don't want to have to sell. When we sell property or sell shares, we want to sell them. We, we, it's our choice. It's in our control. So take that into account as well. But awesome yeah. question. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, we do have another question here. We've got plenty of other questions, to be honest. And if we haven't gotten to your question today, by the way, there will be more and more Q&A episodes coming out. So do keep listening. Um, but the one I'd like to flick to now is from uh, Raktima Day. And they ask if buying old, like a 10-year-old, more spacious townhouse or buying a new smaller compact townhouse um, at the same price point what would we suggest and the same question for houses versus apartments now we've had the houses versus apartments debate many a time but interesting question on the townhouse front because I've literally just gone through this process with a client and it's amazing the draw card to something that's shiny and new mm. versus in this case the property is about 15 years old um, that required a bit of TLC, but overall the land component and the square meterage of the internals was larger than the brand new property. Now, yes. the brand new one also had incentives with it. As many um, programs do with new builds, you have incentives on stamps, you have incentives on cashbacks and things like that. So um, I just want to say the biggest thing on this particularly if it's a place to live in um, and something maybe it's a stepping stone property that you need to, you know, gain some equity in to be able to go again, is time and time again, I would say an overwhelming majority of people look for spacious homes, particularly since COVID. They look for space. The best compliment that a buyer can give a house is, wow, this feels so spacious, there's so much storage, it feels so big. Those sorts of comments are what drive up price and appeal at an auction or you know, in a sale more generally. And this is just my personal opinion, but I am totally for the older, more spacious option um, than... The, the brand new compact one that looks new and shiny. And that's a personal preference, but it's also somewhat of a professional preference because I think you can manufacture equity by updating, you know, like a little facelift inside that one than what you can do with a new build. Mm. Yeah, good response. It's an interesting one. Um, you're right about the glossy. It's uh, mm. it's very appealing to people, whether it be shoes or cars or houses or, mm. or whatever floats your boat. But I think, uh, and we look at it all the time, the old versus new value in a particular suburb. Mm. And there's no one size fits all when we, when we do that assessment. So you've really got to see, uh, not apples for apples, but apples for oranges, what we are getting in that particular suburb for the money that we're paying. And as you mentioned, internal size, 
uh, land size if it's a townhouse. Uh, I, I don't think the house versus apartment is a very different conversation. Yes. Um, if we're saying townhouse versus townhouse, then yeah, can we add value to it? Uh, what tax bracket are we in? Because that does play a big part in that because someone that's paying 47 cents in the dollar versus 18 cents in the dollar, that's a very big uh, discrepancy when it comes to tax time. So whilst tax isn't the number one criteria when we're buying property, it's a awesome byproduct. And I think generally speaking, we've got to assess all those things uh, at the same time to then make an informed decision, but don't be sold by the, the, the glossy bra- uh, marketing brochures like you said, Emily, and, uh, and just understand what's happening in your area. Or the cashback offers. I think a lot of people do chase, oh, but you know, they're going to throw in, like it's a lower deposit amount or they're going to throw in five grand cashback or they allocate X amount to landscaping and solar and all that. That's great, but that shouldn't be your only reason as to why that is a good purchase for you. Mm. Um, you need to look at the whole picture. Yeah. And, and just in finishing on that, we I always ask myself, who's going to rent it from me and then who's going to buy it from me when I decide to sell it one day? So if I'm trying to sell a two-bedroom pokey townhouse versus a three-bedroom uh, two-bath double garage townhouse, I, I know that that latter is going to be appealing to a uh, more renters, more buyers, uh, and ultimately the valuer comes in and, and probably likes it a little bit more as well, which may give me a, a little bit more in terms of equity. Most definitely. Well, I think in terms of Q&A for today, that does bring us to a close. We will do more because there's I've got a whole Word document um, that's been extracted from the Facebook page that we can, awesome. can work our way through. Um, but... Thank you for uh, tuning in today. If we answered your questions, shout out to you. Thanks for contributing to the group. We always appreciate it. Um, don't forget to add a hashtag property um, in the Facebook group when you do ask a question because that's how we collate the questions now and search for them. So remember that key piece of information. Any parting words today, John? Any words of wisdom? <laughs> oh, look, I don't think so. Just, uh, yeah, continue to get out there and enjoy your life. That's uh, the one thing I've been focusing on in these times is just mm. to enjoy every day, set your, set, set your tasks for the day and just keep yourself busy. Yeah. Totally agree with you. Well, until next week, thanks for listening and we'll speak with you soon. Okay, bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today.
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 